Welcome to another edition of Running the Race with Rob King. I'm so glad that you're with us as we continue our journey through Revelation. We're in chapter 20. I think we're going to pick up in verse number eight today. I'm going to read probably most of that chapter again as we just uh, finish up chapter 20 today. And I wanted to go back for a moment as we're talking about the chronological order of the things that are happening in the book of Revelation. We believe that the Bible can be understood. We believe that the Bible can be studied, that God desires for us to know what it means We also believe, of course, that it's veiled to those who don't believe, won't be able to understand it. We also know that, you know, if you really want to understand the Word of God, you dedicate your life to the Lord, you confess your sins, you you, uh, ask Christ to forgive you of your sins, you want to live completely for the Father. As you live in holiness that He has granted you, you understand that every desire that you have for God comes from God. Even your ability to be thankful, you can thank God for your thankfulness because it came from Him, right? He's the initiator. He's the one that moves first. But we believe that as we live in holiness granted by Him, the desires given by Him, that we grow in our understanding of the Word. But the Word of God can be understood. So much of the Word of God is misunderstood because people are... Number one, the fallenness of man, there's carnality, there's those who purposefully deceive and want people to go astray, there's some people who are out for money, there are shysters on TV, there are huge mega churches that are filled with hypocrites and prideful people that twist the Word of God to their own desires, carnal desires, right? There's all of that. But if you really want to understand the Word of God and that desire has come from Him and a desire to please Him and give Him glory, there is a guarantee in the Word of God that we, as His people, will understand it. My sheep will hear my voice. My sheep will know my voice. That's not an inner voice. That is actually Jesus declaring that that those that He has chosen will hear the gospel call, will understand the gospel, and it will be clear. And we believe this about Old Testament prophecy as well. We believe this about the book of Ezekiel. We believe it about Jeremiah. We believe, we believe it about all of the Old Testament, and we believe it about the New Testament, too. That means as we read the book of Revelation, and we're going verse by verse, that we can understand it. And so there is a varied views on the chronological uh, understanding of the end times, um, eschatology, which is basically the, the study of end things or end times. So I wanted to start with a little bit of a, of a review to make sure I was uh, at least a little bit clear. We don't go in depth on this because we're going verse by verse, but just to understand the premillennialist view of the end times. Premillennialist view. So pre before millennial, before the thousand-year reign of Christ, which is what we're really talking about now, before that thousand-year reign of Christ, Christ returns to the earth. The battle of Armageddon happens. He defeats his enemies, and it's not even really a battle because his word from his mouth destroys his enemies. And then he establishes his kingdom, 
his 1,000-year reign, which also is very clear, six times stated in this one chapter, that it's 1,000 years. There's no reason for us to believe that it's anything other than 1,000 years, because every other time and date and year that is given in the book of Revelation is a literal time and date and year. It's a seven-year tribulation midway through. It gives us the months and the numbers, and the numbers are always representing uh, real numbers. So he's going to reign for a thousand years. That's the pre-millennialist view. The post-millennialist view simply means that there is this, there's a belief that the church age will will wind up and everything's going up and to the right, getting better and better as more and more people are coming to Christ, and I guess massive revival, and and there's people coming to Christ, and eventually the earth becomes so overwhelmed, so saturated with salvation, that there is this, uh, then then Christ actually comes back, post-millennial. Also, the post-millennial, remember, doesn't believe that this is a literal thousand years. This is just the church age winding up. This is a very popular belief uh, 18th century, uh, not so much now. So we've had premillennialists before the millennial, right? Millennium, Jesus returns, post-millennialists, which is after the thousand-year reign, quote-unquote thousand-year reign. And then you have ah-millennialists, which basically they believe that the millennial reign is happening now. Again, this church age, so to speak. It's going on right now as we speak. So to quote from John MacArthur, they believe, this is amillennialism, they believe the Old Testament prophecies of the Messiah's kingdom are being fulfilled now, either by the saints reigning with Christ in heaven or by the church on earth, end quote. Now, they do not believe in, again, the literal 1,000 years. It's just a long time. It's just happening. Since the cross, the enemy was bound, and now the kingdom is happening on the earth. This is why so many amillennialists would look for signs of the times to see exactly kind of where we are in that millennial reign. What I would encourage you to do is to Google those ideas, watch some videos, read some books, learn some more about those different views. But we're taking, for for this podcast, for the sake of this podcast, we're taking a pre-millennial view as we read verse by verse and chronologically through the book of Revelation. And we see these things are all confirmed in Ezekiel and Jeremiah and many of uh, the prophets, of course, they're wherever it's spoken of in the end times. And Matthew, when Jesus speaks about it, it all makes sense when the apostle Peter talks about it. Uh, And in Thessalonians, of course, where Paul mentions it and in other places in Corinthians. So we believe that there's agreement in Scripture on a premillennial view. There are good brothers and sisters who are... Ah, millennialists, obviously, uh, this is not a salvation issue, but it, it does have something to do with the way that we interpret, t- <laughs> interpret Scripture. Uh, literal, I've used this phrase a lot, literal, historical, grammatical, 
contextual. So how are we looking at the Scripture? I would, I would ask you, the people that are teaching you. Now, I know that the pastor at my church is doing the homework necessary to understand what is the historical and literal and what is, what is the grammar mean in this and what is, what is the context of this passage. I would ask you, the church that you're attending, does your pastor take the time to really understand what is meant in that passage? Or are they like so many pastors, at least in the United States, so many pastors who are just starting off with an idea in their head that they want to promote and then trying to find proof texts to to kind of um, uh, sit up on a platform their ideas that they had from the very beginning? Are they trying to prove their own theology, or are they really looking to the Word of God? So uh, it's, it's, it is important because it determines these the difference between a premillennialist view sometimes and a postmillennialist view is the way that Scripture is looked at. Is it just all allegory? Okay, well then who, who gets to interpret that? Or if it's completely subjective and the words don't mean anything— then who gets to decide when the words do mean something and when they mean something else? That's, that's just a very scary uh, idea that, that it would be just subject to the reader. And as we've said, we believe that the Lord wants us to understand the Scripture. So we left off on verse—I think we left off on verse 8. I'll just start with verse 7. As a matter of fact, when the thousand years are completed, it says, Satan will be released from his prison. So he's going to be released from his prison. And what I'd like to do is I'd like to just turn back and just read this passage so we get it in its full context here. Let's start at verse 1. We'll go to we'll go to the end there verse 10. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven. So this this is chronological. Then I saw after this then that. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven. John the revelator is saying the Apostle John, holding the key of the abyss and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he threw him into the abyss and shut it and sealed it over him so that he would not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were completed. After these things, he must be released for a short time. Then I saw thrones And they sat on them, and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received the mark on their forehead and on their hand. And they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power. But they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. When the thousand years are completed, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together for the war The number of them is like the sand of the seashore. 
And they came upon the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city and fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are also. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And so we see in this part we're on now, we've covered the first seven or six or seven verses. Now Satan is going to be released. Satan will come out, verse eight, to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth. So he's going to come out to deceive the nations. And this, I thought this was fascinating because Jesus comes back. He returns and destroys all of his enemies at the second coming, right? This is Armageddon. He's, he destroys. It's not even a battle because it's not a battle with Jesus. For the words from his mouth destroy his enemy. They melt like wax. And so there's no more unbelievers, And in the kingdom, as the kingdom begins, this thousand-year reign, the curse is really removed from the earth. By the way, there's a whole new, would be an entirely new landscape after everything that happened in the tribulation, and now Christ returns. This is what we're going to see in this passage where it talks about the plains, and there's just a different ground that they're even on there. We're talking about the holy city. Jesus returns, defeats his enemies, but then there's health and there's really well-being in this kingdom. But there's still the fallen nature of human beings, and so there's, there's a population of people, all these believers, for a thousand years, and people are living longer, and they're having all of these children. There's a, a population boom, and believe it or not, which we do believe it because the Word says it, there are people in that in that millennial kingdom that will not trust in Christ, which we said last time tells of the the wickedness of human beings, the total depravity of people. And this happened when Jesus was on the earth. You say, well, if I would have been there, you know, when Jesus was on the earth, I would have believed. Well, would you have? Because people didn't. They cheer him at the beginning of the week and they crucify him at the end of the week. People are very fickle and, and our hearts are desperately wicked. There is a total depravity of man, which means that we not only can we not stop sinning, but we can't do anything good to earn favor with God. This all has to be done by the grace of God. So the nations, the four corners of the earth, which simply means this is not referring to a flat earth, by the way. This is just the four points of the compass, north, south, east, west. What does this mean? All of the earth are going to rise up. All of those who don't believe in Christ will rise up. Gog and Magog. Gog was used in Scripture as a general title for an enemy of God's people. And uh, Magog, probably all of their descendants, all of the nations that are going to gather for war, the enemy is released from the abyss, and then he basically rallies and gets all of these people together, probably, I mean, in the same way that he would have used the false uh, prophet and the Antichrist. Now he's going to work the same way through these other men, right, that are unregenerate and do not want Christ. And he raises up another army. I thought this was fascinating because it has to be with the generation following those who come into the millennial reign of Christ and his kingdom on earth and how beautiful it is. And they could tell 
the stories of what it was like before Christ was reigning on the earth, but still the hearts of men are wicked and they'll go astray. Satan is going to join them together and rally them together for one final rebellion against God upon the broad plain of the earth, which again leads us to understand that there's something that has happened that has changed in the topography of the earth after the tribulation and when Christ has returned. The beloved city, obviously Jerusalem, and uh, the broad plain of the earth, the camp of the saints, the, this, is, this is Jerusalem, um, where the Messiah is going to establish his throne. Imagine being in a kingdom completely ruled by justice, completely holy, and completely right. And so just like in chapter 19, where we had Armageddon a thousand years earlier, um, there's going to be another quote-unquote battle, but it's not going to be a battle. It's going to be just like Armageddon. It's going to be an execution of the rebellious. Listen to how it says it. It says, fire came down from heaven and devoured them. So, I mean, uh, this is this is the, the thousand years that, that Satan was locked away in the abyss, and now he comes out, and he comes out to deceive the nations from all the corners of the earth. And they're like the sand of the seashore. And they come onto the broad plain. They're surrounding the beloved city. Okay, so far, this sounds bad. This sounds serious. They're like the sand of the seashore. And they're marching against the people of God. They're marching. How? How? I want to use the word stupid, but it doesn't capture. Rebellious is Satan. How rebellious is our sin against God where we won't confess that we're sinners in need of a Savior? How rebellious are we that Christ could be on the earth reigning in righteousness and people still hate it? You may be deceived into thinking that, well, if I just say it the right way, if I just present it the right way, if I just have the right argument, if I could just say the right words, the problem isn't an intellectual problem. The problem is a heart problem. It's not an intellectual issue. It's, it's an emotional, it's a, it's, a, it's a sin issue deep in our heart that has to be overcome by God. When the Apostle Peter said, uh, I believe you're the Christ, Jesus said what? Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And this is why we pray for those who are deceived, pray for those who are blind, pray for those who are in darkness, pray for those who don't know that God would work on their heart and grant them salvation. Yes, we're willing to be that mouthpiece. Yes, we're willing to share the gospel. And what is it that, what is it that saves people? It is God's method, the gospel. The gospel. It seems like a stumbling block to the Jew. It seems totally foolish right, to Greeks. It seems silly to the world. This is not persuading people by their flesh with, with a rock concert and dark, you know, 
a settings with smoke that's gonna you know some cool video is gonna it's not the passion of the christ once they see the chosen though that then they're gonna get no it's the gospel god has decided to save people through his means and his means that paul said this is why i come to you not with persuasive words of worldly wisdom but i come to you in a demonstration of power with what the gospel i preach christ crucified it makes no sense but that's the way that god has decided to save people it's not that it's just the way that he's decided to do it and we can't try to outsmart that so we pray for those who don't know christ we share the gospel with those who don't know christ may god grant us the the words to share the gospel with them that's what paul preached you read through the apostles uh, the epistles, <laughs> read through the writings of the apostles in the epistles, the letters, read read through the gospels and see what they're, they're all about. They're all about the faith, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, so, okay, so here they are. They're on this broad plain. We're going back now. They're like the sand of the shore and they're, they're all over and they're led by the enemy uh, that old, that serpent of old, right? And he's gathered them from all over. They're the sand of the seashore. They come on the broad plain. They've surrounded the camp of the beloved city. And now the next sentence tells you what the, the quote-unquote battle was like. The next sentence says, And fire came down from heaven and devoured them. That's it. And God has done this before. God has used fire from heaven before, and he's using it now. They surrounded them. They besieged them. They were like the sand of the shore. They had all these people who were hating God, and fire came down from heaven and devoured them. Then the next sentence. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone. This is fantastic. This is, you need to know something. Follower of Jesus, the one, if you trust in Jesus, there is not going to be some sweaty arm wrestling match that is, it's not going to be an even match. It's, it's not going to be close. It's not going to be a tough fight. It's not going to go one way or maybe it goes the other. We don't know. No, no he sent fire from heaven and he destroyed them. And then he throws Satan into the lake of fire. It is already a done deal. It, he is already victorious. That's why throughout Revelation, there's different places where angels in heaven are already rejoicing. Remember how they prepare for battle? They prepare for battle by worshiping. Why? Because we're going to (laughs) win. Oh, we have the victor on our side. We have the, the one that appears as a lamb that was slain, but he's a lion who reigns. He's on our side. We are going to win because we're with him. It's not even close. He destroys them. The devil who deceived them was then thrown into the lake of fire. And now look, it's where the beast and the false prophet were for a thousand years. Listen, there was a literal thousand years that, he, that Satan was there. And, and after this battle, he, um, he, he, I'm sorry, he was in the abyss for a thousand years. All that while, the beast and the false prophet were already in the lake of fire. So the scripture makes no reference to us so that we will know. God wants us to know this is where the false prophet and the beast have been for all this time. So those who believe that you just kind of die and don't go anywhere, 
Or you just kind of, you know, oh, God is too kind to have anybody, you know, tormented for all of eternity. Like any human being knows the mind of God that well. But you just can't tolerate it. You can't stomach it. So you want to you protect God's reputation. But you're adding or taking away from Scripture, which you should not do. The Scripture is very clear. Jesus talked more about hell than he did about heaven. And the Scripture is very clear about hell. And it couldn't be more clear. As a matter of fact, you would have to completely distort this and take it completely out of its obvious meaning to say that hell isn't forever. The devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and, and brimstone. He's going to join the beast and the false prophet. And listen, they will be tormented day and night. How long? Forever and ever. Scripture explicitly tells us that hell is forever and ever. Heaven is forever and ever, and hell is forever and ever. Unbelievers are going to be tormented day and night. They are going to be tormented. Jesus taught that they, the punishment of the wicked is eternal, just like the, the, the grace of God and the gift for those who are saved is eternal. It's where the worm does not die. It's unquenchable fire, it says in Mark. It's in Thessalonians, it says it, that the destruction of the wicked in hell stretches throughout all eternity. It's not for a moment. It is forever. But our glorious future with Jesus awaits, and, it's, and it says in First Peter, it's imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away. I encourage you to go back and listen to the podcasts on First Peter. We go through the entire book of First Peter, and it talks about there's a place reserved in heaven for us that is eternal. Why am I saying all this? Because the consequences of how we think about the book of Revelation— the consequences of how we think about Jesus Christ are eternal consequences. You're listening to this podcast in space and time, but there will be a time where there is no time. It will be eternal. And you will either spend that eternity with or away from God. You will spend it with God and His people. You will, you will spend it with His Son and His glorious church that is his bride and his gift from the Father for all of eternity, reigning with him, or you will spend it with Satan and his deceived demons and the millions who have been deceived and rejected the truth. This is consequential. This is the most significant decision. This is the most significant topic you'll ever think about. So I'm asking you, have you repented of your sins? Have you come to Jesus Christ and said, I believe that you died on the cross for me, and I need you, I beg you to forgive me of my sins and let me live completely for you, rejecting everything. I agree with you. I am a sinner. In need. I am a great sinner in need of a great Savior. If you haven't done that, what are you waiting for? He is the way. 
He is the truth. He is the life. And there is no other way to receive forgiveness of your sins and have someone else pay for them other than Jesus Christ. Won't you come to him today? Father, we thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ. Jesus, Jesus, our Savior, Jesus, our Lord, Jesus, mighty in battle, Jesus, the warrior, Jesus, the soon and coming king. Jesus, the one who is victorious, the the one who vanquishes the enemy, and the one that we get to reign with forever and ever. Father, I pray for those who do not yet know Christ. Lord, if it be your will that you would receive glory from saving some today. We thank you, Father, for your salvation and your love. We thank you for your word. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.